0: The following podcast contains explicit language. He he really has a deep animosity to the press. So keep reminding yourself, this is not normal. And we've normalized it already. Less than a week after the election is over, suddenly Washington is going about its business, talking about who's going to get what jobs. And you would think that Mitt Romney had won. It's a hallucination.
1: Hello, and welcome to Trumpcast, the show about our president-elect, whose name I keep forgetting. Uh, I'll, it'll come to me. This is Virginia Heffernan. I am sitting in the very big seat, talking into the very big microphone that rightfully belongs to Jacob Weisberg. I am guest hosting today. So the hits keep coming this week about our president-elect. Every time, and this characterized the campaign, too, Every time we thought things were getting kind of normal, we could recognize the outlines of normalcy. We have been surprised again. This time, we've had to look back into the Attorney General Jeff Sessions background as a racist in Alabama. Michael Flynn, Trump's new national security advisor— would probably be disqualified from a normal administration since he's paid by authoritarian regimes in Turkey and Russia, and people who work with him regularly describe him as unhinged. And finally, of course, there's Steve Bannon, the mastermind of all this, so much that some people are referring to these cabinet appointees as Bannonites. And we're going to hear more about that because I have the best person to talk to about it, Jonathan Chait, the columnist over at New York Magazine has written a fantastic column today explaining why Trump's team is a moving target but also why racism itself, the racism that characterizes these men is a moving target and how in their lives racist discourse has evolved. Jonathan, welcome to Trumpcast.
0: Thanks a so lot for having me.
1: I want to talk to you, Jonathan, about this, you know, article that Which has a headline that pulls no punches. Donald Trump is building a team of racists. Mm -hmm. What I find fascinating in this very, uh, you know, somehow succinct column is that, you know, not only is Donald Trump's team a moving target and we're sorting it out as news breaks, but racism is a moving target, which you get to so well in this. You say say, Trump's early staffing choices are redefining the boundaries of acceptable racial discourse in Republican politics. Walk us through each of these people that are part of the team, and I mean Steve Bannon, Michael Flynn, and Jeff Sessions. What do you mean they're doing? What are they doing to racial discourse?
0: That's a great question. So where I begin with this is that Donald Trump ran a fairly racist campaign but he could have made the choice of doing what George Bush did after running a racist campaign in 1980, 1988, which is to say, okay, now I'm elected and now I'm going to govern differently. And, and this was a little bit ugly, but let's put it fast. But he's not doing that.
1: We had a, we had another moment, in other words, where it might have just been dog whistle and whatever, but he was going to get normal when he chose his cabinet. Right.
0: But he actually <laughs> sees this as, as a real model going forward. So They all have different qualities that put them beyond the what was the pale and no longer is the pale Mm. um, of Republican thought. So, Steve Bannon has worked at Breitbart News and he pushed it. It was a fairly race baiting site all along. It had a site called a section called Black Crime. Um, It was constantly preying on white racial panic. But what he additionally did was to try to build ties, both domestically and abroad, to what's called the alt-right, which is a white nationalist movement. And actually, according to Breitbart, it's basically like skinheads, but more intelligent. And there was an article in Breitbart saying, what is the alt-right, how are they like skinheads? And And the answer they gave in Breitbart, Bannon's publication was, skinheads are dumb and we're smart.
1: Yeah, it was actually if you were trying to find sort of anti-white sentiment um and you were a skinhead, you could have found it in Bannon's statement about skinheads where he yeah. you know he <laughs> talks about them as I mean he goes he goes very far. Basket of deplorables looks very gentle compared yeah. to um, Steve Bannon's description of of, um, of skinheads. Can you read some of that to us?
0: It, it was pretty amazing. He, says, he said, There are many things that separate the alternative right from old-school racist skinheads, to whom they are often idiotically compared. But one thing stands out above all else, intelligence. Skinheads, by and large, are low-information, low-IQ thugs, driven by the thrill of violence and tribal hatred. The alternative right are a much smarter group of people.
1: Mm, right. I mean, I wonder, um, this kind of hair splitting is very strange. And I wonder how, you know, Steve Bannon styles himself as an intellectual. I wonder how that will inform a presidency that no one expected to have, you know, a lot of intellectual subtlety.
0: And that's the really interesting and shocking thing about Bannon is that no one in mainstream national Republican politics, with very few exceptions, wanted to touch racists as part of their coalition. And Bannon doesn't say Nazis and Klansmen are my people. What he says is I can work with them. They're on the outskirts. They're the relation to them. The relation of, of the Klan and the skinheads to his, to his vision and, and, and now to Trump's politics would be somewhat similar to the relation of the socialist or Marxist left Bernie Sanders.
1: Got it, yeah. Bernie Sanders
0: is, is not a Marxist, but he's like, you know, these people are around him, they're influencing him, they're excited about him because he's giving them an in that they never had.
1: Yeah, so you call the the rest of the group Bannonites. I mean, I, I, implying yeah. that he really is, you know, maybe the Marx here or the, you know, the thinker. Um, I think that's right. Now, I,
0: I, I try to go through some of the statements and beliefs of the other two who I lump in with them.
1: Please because tell I me, yeah. It,
0: because I think there are a lot of commonalities between them. Sessions comes out of a traditional Southern reactionary racism, basically, where he was rejected for a federal judgeship 30 years ago because he allegedly called a black lawyer boy, told him to watch how he talks about Talks around white people. Um, he was just vicious in his prosecution of people involved in civil rights, trying to f- stop civil rights activists from registering to vote, even though they were innocent according to the law. Um, that's what he comes out of. But more, more recently, his views on this have maybe not so much evolved as mutated. Um, he's become much more interested in restrictionism, and I think the larger suite of cultural politics that emerges out of it, not just the idea that immigration policies are, need to be broken, that the border needs to be fixed, but that America's identity is under siege and immigration needs to be scaled way back to reserve its racial character.
1: Right. This isn't about getting felons, getting illegal illegal immigrants who've right. been, you know, who are convicted felons or radical Islamic terrorists. There's nothing, um, there's nothing small about the group he has in his sights. Right. And it's more
0: culture based than law-based. Mm. It's, not, it's not the argument that we have laws, we're not enforcing laws, you know, we need to enforce the laws, which in many ways was Trump's argument, but, in, but, but some of what Sessions thinks about this goes goes farther. I was also struck by the fact that in and around the election, he twice used very, very similar language to attack a, quote, quote, globalist business media conspiracy of which he associates George Soros as the symbolic head,
1: and does that does that read to you as anti-Semitic?
0: It does. Yeah, um, I think sometimes people get um, a little too uh, oversensitive, picking through statements for signs of anti-Semitism. But um, it, first of all, you don't even need to prove that it's anti-Semitic to to understand what he's saying. And I think what he's saying is 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 very very much a piece of this Bandonite alt-right worldview. It's the idea that you were being attacked by these hordes of immigrants who are transforming the culture of our country, but they alone can't do it. Um, For them to succeed, they need um, a very powerful group of people manipulating them. And this powerful people is a nexus that controls international business, and because it's international and globalist, which is a favorite Sessions phrase, um, and a favorite Bannon phrase, they lack loyalty to the United States of America. And they have control of key um, business, banking, and media outlets to manipulate public opinion. So um, that's a, that's another one of these qualities that brings this worldview together. This 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 imagination that the country's identity is under siege from a coalition of you know from above and below. And, and really, this really these arguments share a lot of qualities in far right thought going back many many decades. You could look at what Charles Coughlin was saying in the 30s, and a lot of those same themes can be found.
1: Well, we should, I mean, we should say, first of all, that, yeah, Jeff Sessions is, is Trump's new attorney general, and also that right. he's from Alabama. And, you know, the connection between, uh, he's been in, in, in state government there for 20 years. He's been AG there for 20 years. Is that right?
0: Right. Uh, he's been, well, you know, he's been a, he's been a, he's been a, he's been a senator, um, he was uh, you're right, he was attorney general and now he's now he's a senator and he was a very early and enthusiastic backer of Trump when the vast majority of the Washington party wouldn't touch him with a ten foot pole. So there is an issue of rewarding loyalty here, but um, he's being brought in in, a, in an important job, and I think if you bring him together with Bannon and Flynn, then I think you've got. A core of early employees who, who share some commonalities in the way they look at the world.
1: I think this this idea that you know till till now we've talked about racism as a as a function or as evidenced by what someone what people have said mostly. Yeah, and you know it's worth pulling apart the threads of some of this contemporary Trumpite thinking and tr- tracing its history. I mean, the only other. Thought That came up as you were connecting the anti-globalist, anti-Soros thinking to this restrictive immigration policy. And, it, you know, it looks like what Sessions doesn't even like Islam doesn't want Islam taught in books um, distributed by the um, National Endowment of the Humanities. The reason that that's worth bringing up is you don't think of Islam and a Jewish media conspiracy having a close connection. But, you know, in during civil rights in Alabama, there was a lot of talk about the elites and particularly Jewish elites who came down to do voter registration being the champions of civil rights and being friends to black Americans in the South. So, mm-hmm. you know, I do You're think... you absolutely that, right. Yeah. I that's do you think a really good point. Racism is refiguring itself, but it but it but it makes some sense. And that's right. And, and yeah. Flynn,
0: I think, is the one that that we haven't talked about yet. Yes, Flynn. Flynn is really pushing the boundaries of how his party talks about Muslims. Under George W. Bush, after nine eleven, the Bush administration was very careful to distinguish Muslims from terrorists because they believe, and I think, correctly, that. First of all, it was true that most Muslims were terrorists. And second of all, were, even whatever bits of truth you could find in this were, were extremely unhelpful because their goal was to separate the Muslim majority, to separate the moderates, the people who could be persuaded to their side, from the terrorists into, into, and not to cooperate with the terrorists' worldview, which was promoting this clash of civilizations where all of Christianity slash Jews were together against Muslims. They wanted to pry apart the violent Muslims from the nonviolent Muslims. Now, after Bush led the scene, I think you've seen a real pushback in the Republican Party. And and that's why the biggest cliche they have, in fact, the closest thing they have to a real policy agreement is this notion that we have to say the words Islamic terrorists. Yes. And, and they almost seem to believe that saying the words are themselves the solution. And I think that in some ways it's taken the place of a solution because they don't really have Solutions.
1: Well, that is that when they say, you know, they're afraid to say it, the elites are afraid to say this or the politically correct are afraid to say radical Islamic terrorism. I think at some point Trump even said to to Clinton, you know, say it, say it. You yeah. can't even say it. Um, that to me also underscores that this so far has been such a conversation about language. Who uses what word? When did they use it? What do they start saying? What's a dog whistle? What's red meat? And, but now that we're forming this team, that Trump's forming this team, we're about to see policy grow out mm-hmm. of this language. What do you think we can expect? Bannon is just a, you know, a pundit. So what do we you think we can expect? I mean, you know, this is a pretty extreme group of people, but they yeah. haven't been in a position of power, certainly this level of federal power, that they could start really changing what America looks and feels like.
0: You know, you can only begin to imagine what they'll do. And some of what you imagine as it plays out is is rather frightening. Sessions in charge of the Department of Justice for a a, a person who is been so extraordinarily hostile to civil rights and voting rights. Uh, well, you can imagine that not only would he do the kind of evisceration of voting rights and civil rights that you have under normal Republican administrations, George W. Bush's, just attacked civil rights enforcement. His administration was just was completely ruthless. So Sessions going even farther than that. You can just imagine a department that was throwing itself behind the cause of voter suppression um, with every with every lever it had at its disposal, um, clearly some kind of immigration restriction is on the docket. Some kind of deportation, um, self deportation things, to make life difficult for undocumented immigrants and their families. Um, you know,
1: I just it, I just realized why there's something so disorienting about this, and it's that this particular faction of racist thinking since civil rights has belonged to the states, as belonged to a states' rights yeah. group. So, in other words, what's weird is we have the states' rights crowd, the Confederate flying cl- crowd, the we-do-things-different-in-Alabama crowd in yeah. the federal government, running right. the federal government. And yep. so, you know, in some ways, it is—I mean, I maybe I'm trying to be ho- hopeful, but is there a way that it will be difficult to— get this kind of regional thinking all um codified and and turned into legislation at the federal level not only are there just practical legal blocks to doing that but also it's a um it just seems very it seems very very hard to build consensus about this even in a white house where the deck is the deck is so stacked
0: i think you've identified a really interesting question and i wish I could give you a better answer, but I think what you are you're, you're totally right. That's a that's an enormous question. But part of the reason is there's just not been a program um, about this. Keep in mind the whole orientation of the Republican Party has been around a specific Reaganite agenda. Right? They want to they want to cut taxes, especially at the top. They want to reduce social spending. They want to deregulate businesses, especially finance and in in fossil fuel emitters. They're against minimum wage. This, this agenda has been has been developed for a, such a long time, because that was what their goals were. They, the alt right was not part of the Republican Party, so th- there was no real effort put into a legislative agenda for the alt right. So yeah. now they've got power. So what do they do? Do they come up with one? Do they can they come up with one through enforcement? Can symbolism and messaging alone do it? Keep in mind that. The idea of the United States as a beacon for the world and a melting pot and a, and, and, a, and a unique country based on the fact that there was no American racial identity has been a point of bipartisan agreement. That's been... And, and, and a bipart, part of the bipartisan agreement is that this is a, a great advantage that we have, not only culturally and and democratically, but also economically. But So consider one of the statements that Bannon made about... Silicon Valley, basically, where he said three-quarters of the CEOs in Silicon Valley are from South Asia or Asia, and a country is more than an economy. Um,
1: that was amazing. And I want to slow down for a second on that. We also were kind of running out of time. Uh, but what I what I found, I mean, there's so many, I sh- we should just parenthetically state, these things blow the brain open. It is very, very hard. I had to read that statement. And he's
0: also wrong. He's just and you have. To, I don't want to repeat a falsehood without pointing out that it's not true. That three quarters. Of, of CEOs and telecom Right. Just so but,
1: just so we don't get fake news out here on Trumpcast. Right. But, you know, just to just to slow down a bit, I had to read this this paragraph literally aloud to in, in your piece today um, to understand it. He was asked by Trump about one of those kind of talented 10th arguments about immigration. Shouldn't we let in, you know, whatever the current current idea of the good immigrant is? Shouldn't we let in? Right. Asians, shouldn't we let in um, in Jews in the past? And, you know, because yep. they go to the Ivy League and then they do so well and they boost the economy. Um, and, and Bannon said back to that, which is already, uh, you know, uh, used to be the height of racism. Bannon yep. went one further and said, you know, it's not just we're not building an economy, just an economy in the U.S. It doesn't matter if they create jobs or make, create wealth or grow the economy, these immigrants or go to our best schools or build houses or whatever. What matters is we are building a, what does he say, a civic society, A civic society, yeah. And that that civic society is is meant to be white, that this is a kind of cultural imperative or civic imperative that has nothing to do with practical politics.
0: Well, it has nothing to do with practical economics, but it is a kind of politics. Some of that you can do through legislation with your visa policies, with your immigration policies. Some of it you can simply do through messaging, right? I mean, the symbolism of having Donald Trump in the White House is going to change the way a lot of people around the world think about the United States? And do they want to come here? Do they want to stay here? Can they see themselves as being American?
1: Um, I just I find this piece so fascinating, Jonathan. It's called Donald Trump building team of Racist." That's the headline. Jonathan, thank you so much. Thank
0: you so much. I really enjoyed this. And what you said was so nice about my article it was so nice and really uh, that was extremely kind. Thank you so much.
1: I will see you on the Internet. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. That's it for today's show. Trumpcast is produced by Jason DeLeon. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts. Andy Bowers is the chief content officer at Panoply. And I'm Virginia Heffernan, subbing for the great Jacob Weisberg. Tune in for more Trumpcast next week.